Everyone has their recipe for happiness. You don't actually have to look very far. Um, You don't even have to get up off of your couch to be bombarded with invitations to happiness. Just kind of briefly looking at ads this week. Um, You've got Nutella, spread the happy. Coke, the world is what we make it, so make it happy. Ikea, happy inside. Now, I think it's on their catalog. I'm not sure if they're talking about internal or you're supposed to be like, now that you have your, your catalog, there's happiness inside this catalog. Volkswagen, do you remember when they did the get in, get happy? The guy from Minnesota who was like, I remind. He was like talking because he had a Volkswagen. He was much happier because he had a Volkswagen. Um, Visa's travel happy, just saw that. Geico, get Geico, get happy. Whole Foods is food from a happy place. So as long as you're eating happy food, then you yourself will be happy. Febreze is breathe happy. Honda, Hon- happy Honda days. And JetBlue obviously knows that one of the things associated with it, flight is unhappiness. So they've changed their phrase to happy jetting. So the idea is to create this environment of happiness. It's everywhere you look. You don't have to even get off your couch to be assaulted with suggestions on what will make you happy. YouTube, Google, Facebook, Twitter, marketing strategies, dating sites, business sites, job sites, get-rich-quick sites. Everywhere and everyone boasts to know how to make you happy. Um, But Jesus actually throws his hat into the ring in this conversation. And to be honest, Jesus' happiness or road to happiness would get laughed out of ad agencies, marketing rooms. When Jesus says, wait, let's, let's tell them how to be happy this way, they'd say, get out. <laughs> because the more we've looked at the Beatitudes, it seems so opposite and so upside down to what the world says is the formula for happiness. If you look at this, I don't, I don't have time to review all of them, but we, we, you can go online or you can go to, you know, download the church app, you can listen to where we've journeyed, but we've been looking at the Beatitudes, this happiness that Jesus is pointing us to that is so far beyond the outward circumstances of whether I have the right money or whether I have the right job or schooling or education. It's all not dependent on something on the outside, but something that changes on the inside. And so he describes those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Those who are spiritually bankrupt before God, they go, I have nothing. And then then he goes on to talk about those who mourn and those that, that go, man, I mourn that I am lacking in all that God has and Those are the ones who find the comfort of God. And then he goes on to talk about the meek, and the meek being those not weak. He's saying those of you who who have the ability to be strong, but you could also say, God, you're stronger, and I'm willing to humble myself, submit myself to what you have. And the Bible says those are the ones who inherit the earth. They don't go and by force take anything, but God chooses to pour it all out on those who are meek. And last week, Wes talked about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, it's the very basic need that if we don't let this need get met, we don't last very long. And so Jesus is saying, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Like, literally satisfied, not wanting anything, because it is God himself who meets that need. And then Jesus brings us to where we are today. And it's interesting, if you look at the Beatitudes, each of these seem to get more demanding as you go down the list. A little more difficult to consider. And here's where we tend to check out. We tend to go, you know what? I'm not meek, so I'm just going to work on the other ones. We kind of treat the Beatitudes like they're a you pick two buffet where I'm like, okay, I can do this and this, but these things I don't do. Well, here's the problem. 
These are an all or nothing. These all begin to develop. And now whether or not you're seriously like, I'm perfect in all of them, that's not what we're looking at. It's a, these are a result of where you're looking. And we've talked about the last several weeks that all of this comes not as a checklist to get the kingdom. If I do 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, if I do these lists and I check this off, then I'm going to get the kingdom. That's not what this is. Jesus is describing someone who has the kingdom. This is not how we work and claw our way into the kingdom, but it is a result of already having the kingdom. The people who have an understanding of the grace of God begin to reflect this list. And it's an incredible list. It's an incredible picture. It's an incredible description of someone who understands the grace of God. It is a litmus test to do we really understand the grace that has been given to us by God. Now, there's an understanding that for, for Christ followers, Christian, Christian doctrine, Christian theology, Christian teaching affects Christian living. What you believe will and should affect how you live. If you want to know what you believe, look how you live. That's what you believe. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here, that everything that he teaches and says in the scriptures declare affect how you and I interact with society and with God, ultimately through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so this morning, Jesus, we're going to focus in on Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Oh, man, this is not my Sunday to be here. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Now, I know what many of you are thinking of when you hear the word mercy. This is what you are thinking of, isn't it? Right, Uncle Joey? Jesse? Sorry, sorry. Joey's the other one, my bad. I watch too much Full House. Uncle Jesse, have mercy. Many of you probably are like, what in the world is he talking about? Um, if not, it's okay. You don't have to understand all the jokes. Um, maybe you are thinking, like most of the world though, ain't nobody got time for mercy. Ain't nobody got time for mercy. The, the world is not a fan of mercy. When it's about us, then maybe we are. But if we're just an outside observer or we're, we're, we're counseling or gossiping with someone about should we extend mercy, we're like, nope, nope. See, public shaming is everywhere. I don't know if you've been, if you go very far on Facebook, if you're a part of the West Asheville Exchange, uh, is anyone on Facebook? Uh, okay. Public shaming is what they do best there. Like they will take pictures of cars parked poorly and then have a, a, like a long discussion of how terrible this person is. Public shaming is everywhere, and it's not just about parking. It's everyone saying, I want them to get theirs. And we're like on the outside. It's this weird disconnected judgment thing. It's not even about us, but we're seeing somebody else doing something, and we want to see them get theirs. That's the way the world operates. The world is not a fan of mercy. We act in judgment, and that's what we want to see, and it's all over the place. We want revenge. We want to crush when we were in Egypt, um, we got to go to uh, the museum that's there in Cairo, and it's a huge museum. And I, I believe the statistic was if, if we took two minutes to look at every artifact in that museum, it would take a lifetime to get through it. 
I mean, you're talking about, okay, congratulations, America, a couple hundred years old. Congratulations, Egypt, 4,000, 5,000 years old. They're like, talk to me when you hit 1,000 years old, America. It is a huge culture, civilization, just so many things. It's just fascinating. And we were, in the, we were in the museum, and one of the guys that was taking us through, he brought us to this area that celebrated King Tut. Most of us have heard of King Tut. And he was beginning to share with us some stuff that we really hadn't really even considered because the reason King Tut is so famous is because his burial tomb is the only intact one that they have ever found. But did you know that, and this is the words from the guy who was walking us through the museum, said that King Tut was one of the most insignificant pharaohs in Egypt's history. He died as a boy, a teenager, a disabled, crippled boy, king, that's what he was, And we celebrate him and we think about him as this huge thing. But the reason he says we know about him is because his tomb was not grave robbed like the rest of the pharaohs. Typically, when you were selected and you were next in line, as soon as you became next in line, they would begin putting stuff in your burial tomb, artifacts, gold, treasure, all the stuff you're supposed to take into the next life. And he was like, could you imagine if we had found a a pharaoh's tomb that had 80 or 90 years worth of gold and treasure and all those things. And he's like, but we have this guy who died at 18 years old, and he was kind of an insignificant king, but because we know a lot about him, we talk about him. But one of the things that he showed us, and this was one of the artifacts, was there was this set of canes, and as he, as, as he grew in his, in his disability and it started to take him down, he walked with a cane. And the cane that he would walk with had the head of the handle of the cane was shaped in the fashion of all the nation's rulers around him. And so symbolically, as he would take a disabled, crippled step on the cane, he would squeeze down on the ruler's impression. And it was symbolic of squeezing the life out of your enemies. As he would take his limp and he'd put the pressure on the cane, he would squeeze the life out of those who were his foes. And see, some of you who have businesses that you're going, you work against, you're thinking of making canes right now. You're thinking of crushing the competition in that way. And some of us in this room, we're like, That's, I love that idea. Crush those before they crush me. And it makes sense to us. And it's, in fact, what we celebrate. You know, our world jokes about mercy and it not being an option. That, that phrase, you know, you know, before you criticize someone, walk a mile in their shoes. Well, our world came up with a way to add humor to it. Before you criticize someone, try walking a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away from them and you have their shoes. So we laugh and we kind of mock the idea of mercy and what it looks like. And so ra- judgment is what we desire rather than mercy. So we're all really Cobra Kais. That's what we are. From Karate Kid, we are strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. We would belong to the school right here of strike before being struck. We are all sweep the leg individuals. If you're familiar with the Karate Kid story, sweep the leg, the idea of where Daniel had been wounded, it was go after that wound. So when Sensei says to Johnny, sweep the leg, he's saying take him out. Because that is where he is weak. This is how the world operates. It's what we want. It's what we hunger for. And it's what we go after. But Jesus presents a different way of life. Not only does he present one, he lives one. He models it. 
A merciful person would be described as a person who shows leniency, compassion, or forgiveness, especially towards someone who has offended them. In the Greek and also in English, mercy can be considered pity, compassion, loving kindness, goodness, favor, steadfast love, or charity. In the Christian conversation, grace and mercy seem to kind of be alike, and sometimes we use them interchangeably, and I'm not here to start a word argument, but I really do believe they're kind of two sides to the same coin. And so for for, for this morning's sake and for this discussion, I want you to see the definitions that we're going to work off of. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We have a very real phrase in the United States, well, they made their bed, now they lay in it. The gospel says, yes, you've made your bed, but you don't have to lay in it. And that goes against the way the world operates. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so there's, there, there is a subtle difference to them. Grace or mercy would be a judge finding you completely guilty and then withholding punishment. Grace would be that same judge withholding punishment, finding you guilty, withholding punishment, and then giving you a million dollars. They are a little different. One being us not getting what we deserve, that being mercy. Now, always we look at, and Jesus didn't say, and I want to make sure we're clear on this, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the gracious, for they will be given grace. He picked his words specifically, the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Mercy is extended. Mercy is an outstretched hand. Mercy is grace in action, if you will. Mercy is love reaching out to help those who are helpless and need rescue. Mercy goes as far as identifying with the miserable in their misery. I read one definition of somebody, somebody was saying mercy is vibrating to the same stress of those that you've stepped into. Take that picture on for just a second and consider Jesus and what he did. Where do we find this in, in mercy in the scriptures? Well, in Psalm 86, 15, even before in Exodus, when God reveals himself to Moses, he says, I'm the God of mercy. In 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. We didn't just say that in the Old Testament. We see it. We see Israel rebel over and over and over and over. And yes, God does say, all right, you can have what you want and they will be handed over. But then they cry out, God, we do deserve destruction and death. But then God says, I will step in and I will rescue you. You are not getting what you deserve. In Colossians chapter 3, mercy is to be a mark of those who belong to Christ. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, and here's the key, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Christ followers don't just talk about a God of mercy. We are to display this mercy that we speak of so often. Whereas the opposite, those who refuse God, what is a sign that they have rejected God and His ways? Proverbs 21.10 says this, Evil people desire evil. Their neighbors get no mercy from them. In Romans chapter 1, this is a long list of marks 
of those who do not care for God, nor do they care for his ways. Listen, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. That's amazing. That's included in that list. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. That is a wicked list. And closing it out is no mercy. And with a glance at this beatitude, you and I might appear, this might, this might appear as a contradiction, kind of like a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. If I give mercy, then I get mercy. That's what it seems like it's saying there. If you were to just read this verse, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Okay, so if I want God's mercy, I have to be merciful. Well, that would contradict everything we've talked about before. And reading it in context, it's not about a list, me going, God, I'm going to scratch your back, I'll be merciful to people, so you'll show me mercy. No, those of us who have experienced the mercy of God, not getting what we deserve, being cast aside, being left in darkness, being alone, being an enemy of God, those things are what we do deserve. But because God in His compassion and mercy for us stepped in, those of us who understand what we have been given mercy will be an extension of our own lives and it will be something we also get to experience in eternity. The blessing is God himself continues to pour out mercy upon mercy upon mercy from this life into eternity. Now, <clears throat> Matthew, 28, or Matthew 18 tells the story of the unmerciful servant. And if you've never heard it, it's a, it's a fascinating picture of all that I believe Jesus is talking about. So if you know the story, there's this, this rich guy who decides to call into account all the debts that he is owed. And there's this one individual, I kind of picture him as a dad with a family and a couple of kids and a wife, and, and he's probably a dad that's worked really hard to make ends meet, but just could never catch a break. Was always kind of just the step behind, or always the guy who had the business plan and the model, and something didn't work, and he could never catch the break. And so to make ends meet, he went to this guy and said, can I borrow some money? And being a generous man, he went, yes, you can borrow some money. I, I, I'm working on this project, and if this project goes through, then yes, man, I will be able to pay you back, and I'll pay you back a little bit more if you'll just help me out this time. Okay. Things didn't work out. Things didn't happen the way he hoped they would happen. And he found himself going back to the man asking for more money. Always putting on the appearance before his family like things were good. Before his wife and children, everything looked good, but it was on borrowed money. And this man decides to make all the collections come in. And one night at dinner, the man is sitting down with his family and probably eating a meal, and he hears a, a knock at the door, and I'm sure he knows exactly who that is because he's not been returning phone calls. He's been throwing letters in the trash. He gets up from the table and opens the door, and what does he say probably to the collector? He says, just a little bit more time. Maybe, maybe that's what he says. Maybe just, maybe just give me a few more days, and I'll get the money. 
They take him from his home and bring him to this collector. And the collector's like, man, you've borrowed millions. You have borrowed millions of dollars. And the man, I can just hear him saying, just give me a little bit more time. A little bit more time. Please don't do anything drastic. Let, give, me, give me a little bit more time. And I can, hear, I can hear the man, the collector, saying to him, no, you know what? I want my money now. And so I'm going to take your family and sell them to make up for what you owe me. And at hearing that, the man just breaks down and weeps and just starts crying and begging and pleading for, the, for his life to be handed back to him. Something, just give me a break, something. I've never caught a break in, the, in any, anything. Just help me out. And what we see is we see this collector have pity on this man. He says, I will, I will cancel your debt. You can go. You don't know a thing. And I can imagine the shock in the man's heart. That, like, that moment of adrenaline where you're, you thought your life was over, but you're like, you've just received something you should not have. Like I can feel my heart beating just faster thinking about it. Then he leaves... And on the way home, he comes across the punk kid that he let $3 out of his wallet to. He grabs that kid, pulls him in, and says, Dude, you owe me three bucks. You owe me three dollars, man. Hand it over. And this is where social media comes into the picture. People get out their phones and they start taking pictures of the guy doing it and they start recording this guy's action. And it's the same thing as telling on the guy and going to the collector and the collector is watching the news one night and he sees him grabbing this kid who owes him three bucks after the debt that he had forgiven this man. He calls that man back into his office and says, How dare you! I, re- I released you of a million dollar debt and I see you on Facebook and Twitter holding a kid to your face bare-knuckled, grabbing his shirt, saying, you owe me three dollars. How dare you? He throws him in prison. See, for the Christ follower, Peter was asking Jesus, setting this story up, going, all right, Jesus, how many times should I really forgive somebody? Like seven times? Because I can get seven times. I can put a list on my wall and I can do seven and Jesus is like, actually 77. And I can see it in Peter's brain going, I'm going to need to get a bigger list, but somehow that can, I can make that happen. I can put 77 check marks next to someone's name, and I can see Jesus going, good grief, Peter. It was a debt that could not be repaid. It was a debt that was unable we could not work if we tried to see that debt removed and so jesus is saying those who have been shown mercy show mercy there's no other way around it now for those of you that are familiar with tim keller he describes this picture of forgiveness and uh if if you want to direct your attention over here mr cameraman um I'm going to give you a picture of the way Tim Keller describes what happens with forgiveness, just so you guys don't have to turn around and crick your neck, all right? See, Greg clumsily has just spilled some coffee. I can't believe Greg would do that. 
Brady um, decides to clean up for him. Now, uh, see, Brady spilled more coffee uh, on his behalf right there. Now, if you look at that counter, look how clean it is. I mean, it's clean, it's dried up, it is shiny. Now, Brady, would you hold that? Look at that. Okay, see, what happens with forgiveness, and this is the way Tim Keller describes it, is the wrath that we deserve was not just swept under the rug, but Jesus Christ himself absorbed the wrath that we deserved. You see, when we say, Jesus, please take from me the sin that, you're di- that, that, that I so desperately need forgiven, it's not just swept under the rug, but it's the, the debt collector looks at us and says, I will no longer hold your record of wrongs against you. See, forgiveness and mercy always costs somebody something. And it's when we understand what it costs the Father, His own Son that mercy begins to work its way out in our life. To absorb the debt does not mean that it never happened, but it means to never again count the debt against the person. The servant's attitude towards the guy who owed him $3 showed that he did not understand what he had been shown. Now, there's two rooms that I want to show you this morning. And there are rooms that I think we live in and we we want to live in. Now, we really like this room. And I think there's a reason that we love this room. It's because it's where we all start. Every single one of us stands under the judgment of God. And so there's guilt And there's accusation because of the law. When we look at the law, we look at it and go, man, I can't live up to that. I can't do that. I can't can't be those things. So we begin to feel guilt. We feel accusation. And because that's what the law does. The law does. It condemns us because we realize we can't live in that. We can't be those things. And so this, in turn, is what we show to the world. We reflect the room that we live in. I really believe that. So we start in judgment. And so because all we know is judgment, that's what we do. We judge others. We throw things out there. We're harsh on people. Mercy? Kindness? No. But see, through faith in Christ, what we see is there's a room change that goes on. And so, through Christ, I'm allowed to enter into this room of mercy. Where mercy has been extended to me, now I extend mercy. But here's what happens. As we've been Christ followers for a little bit longer, we begin to be offended easier. So we kind of, all right, kind of in it a little bit. I'm I'm here. I like this. I like this one. Just, Just for a few minutes, Jesus, please let me judge this person. Please let me condemn them and not, and accuse them and brought judgment. But please don't stop showing me mercy. Please don't stop. And this is the game we play. Here's the problem with that. You can't live here and expect the benefits of here. It doesn't work. 
And so, yes, you and I may be in Christ, but here's what happens is we experience accusation and guilt and nothing is going to remove Christ's mark on our life in him. But what we do is we'll experience accusation and judgment the rest of our lives because this is what we're going to choose to do. And we forget about mercy and we forget about mercy and we forget about mercy because we've forgotten about who Christ is. Now, as the band comes and, and, and finishes this, this time out, The picture that I hope you walk away with is that you and I, our hands are so full of the mercy of God that we cannot choke the neck of someone who may deserve judgment. Like, I really feel like this is the invitation. Our hands are so full of mercy. If my hands weren't so full of mercy right now, I would choke you. I got so much mercy, I don't know what to do with it. And I believe this is who we are called to be. Not because we can muster up mercy, but because we remember the mercy that has been shown us. I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan, and if you get tired of me referring to the Lord of the Rings, write a better book. Um, um, Uh, that was good. I like that. Very sarcastic. But there's a scene in the, uh, the last book, in The Return of the King, where Pippin and Gandalf are about to have the confrontation with the Witch King, and they both know they're done. They both know the game is over. And they're contemplating how the game is over. And just before the encounter happens, they hear this. And it's the riders of Rohan. They have arrived. And at that sound of the horn, the witch king hears that he is no longer top dog. And the confrontation is ended. And in the end of the book, it says, to this day, Pippin can't hear horns without breaking into tears over remembering the rescue that he experienced and the great foe that was defeated. If this is not a picture of the gospel, I don't know what is. The mercy that we have been extended, we extend to others. We go to people who do not deserve mercy. The reason we don't show mercy is because we focus on the object of our mercy. When we focus on the source of our mercy, the object is no longer the main issue. So we extend mercy to those who don't deserve it because we understand we didn't deserve it. This blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. A people who have been extended mercy show mercy. This morning, if, if you're at a place and as we close with a song, if you're one of those people who's like, I just don't know if I get that mercy. I think I live here all the time and I don't know how to move from it to the next. I'd love to pray with you. I know some elders and our gel leaders will be over there as well. But the judgment to mercy conversation is not an easy one. It's time. But I know that Jesus leads us to this room. Father, thank you for loving us. 
And I ask that in this time you would be glorified, you'd be lifted high, and that the mercy of the cross would shatter us of wanting to choke the enemies because our hands are so full of mercy. It's in your name we pray.